Nice coffee. Yeah, I know. I, uh, I've been like, my throat's been like as clear as Pavarotti like all day. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then I sit down to do my, uh, do the podcast and then I get phlegm. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Pavarotti to Louis Armstrong, right? Exactly. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know what that means. I don't either. <laughs> hey, but thank you for exactly. I feel it better. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're gonna have to scratch this because I'm drawing a blank. Are you about to go into the scandal of Clinton? No, no, that was that was later. This is cigar bar. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Wayback Chronicles podcast. My name is Noel Kurz, and I'm joined by my lifelong friends, Keith Abbott and Steve McKelkey. On this podcast, we look at the greatest events that have happened since 1970 to the present. Today in episode nine, we're going to take you uh, through the world of uh, world events and uh, politics in the year of 1995. And uh, we're happy to turn this over to Noel, who's going to take us through that journey. It's all yours, Noel. All right. Well, I... Um, Drew the topic, or actually, I didn't. I guess I technically didn't draw the the topic out of the hat, but the topic was drawn out of the hat for me um, to look at world events and politics of 1995. And so, um, when I started, when I got the topic, I was kind of like, okay, well, I can remember a couple of things that I think happened around 1995, but I wasn't quite sure. And so, when I started doing my research, it's of um, there were several events that happened that um, I had forgotten that happened in '95, but. Any uh, discussion about the world events of 1995 would be incomplete without talking about the trial of O.J. Simpson. For those that weren't around in 1995, I'll kind of give you a brief summary of the O.J. Simpson saga, which kind of gripped the nation, really kind of the world, really, in 1995. So on June 14th, I'm sorry, June 12th, 1994, the bodies of Nicole Simpson Brown and Ron Goldman are found, leading to the arrest of, and trial of O.J. Simpson. Simpson's arrest made headlines as he led police on a high-speed chase, and I'm using air quotes around high speed, because he was in a white Bronco that was traveling about, I don't know, 35, 40 miles an hour, and every cop, I think probably in L.A. County, was following him. Um, it's quite a spectacle. It was broadcast on every kind of news station worldwide, but pretty bizarre. Fans of the football star lined the freeway with signs and tears of support. And live footage of the chase interrupted the airing of the live NBA finals. Once the running back is arrested, his entire trial continued under the media's eye as, as the presiding judge, Ito, permits the proceedings to be televised to the U.S. public. Competency of the U.S. of the police and racial tensions between the police and African-Americans are raised by the defense team. Prosecution present the court with physical evidence, including gloves, allegedly belonged to O.J. Simpson, which were found to be at the crime scene. The major turning point of the trial was June 15, 1995, when the accused O.J. Simpson tried on the gloves, showing the jury that they were too tight for him. This is a key part of the defense's closing argument on September 28th. And 532 days after the murder was committed, with the trial lasting 11 months, the jury deliberated for only four hours. And 
OJ Simpson was declared not guilty. And guys, I don't remember about y'all. I don't know about y'all, but I remember exactly where I was. Me too. I was in the University Center of Texas Tech University upstairs right before band. And they had the big screen TV on and everybody was up there watching the verdicts. I was there too. I remember watching that like it was yesterday and they read the jury, they read the verdict and everybody in the room reacted. And I kind of kept my response or kept my reaction to myself, walked down the stairs and then walked to the music building and went to band practice. But um, yeah, that was kind of a pivotal moment, but uh, that was in uh, 1995, the OJ Simpson trial ended. And uh, to date, uh, despite OJ Simpson's best efforts, the actual murders of Nicole Brown Simpson or Nicole Simpson Brown and Ron Goldman have not been, not, not been found. So yeah, 1995. Such a crazy thing. And, and, and yeah, I remember exactly where I was as well. I was in the school of music, actually Mr. Sutter's office and watching it on this yep. TV. And, but, uh, yeah, I remember, uh, OJ Simpson's, uh, uh, attorney, I can't remember his name, but uh, after OJ, tr- he had like a dream team. It was yeah, yeah. He had um, every every attorney could ever want on the defense. Um, the defining de- moment uh, was really uh, after he struggled to try to put the gloves on, and you know yeah. they they didn't appear to fit. You know, as his attorney said, if they don't f- if if they don't fit, you must acquit. Yeah, and uh, you know that was probably the moment right there that sent the message to the jury. Well. We really don't have proof. Yep. So uh, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, Johnny Cochran, right? Yeah. Johnny Johnny Cochran. Cochran. There you go. Thank you very much. I would say a hotly contested uh, verdict as well. Yeah. Yeah. He said, if if it doesn't fit, you must acquit and make sure that we get that right. Yeah. I, I think if, you know, if, there was internet polls back, back in the day, which you know, I don't believe there was, if I didn't participate yeah. in one, I, yeah. I would probably be willing to venture that, that most Americans thought he was guilty. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, uh, and so this came sort of, I think a genuine surprise to a lot of Americans and, and, uh, <laughs> I don't know still to this day, if I can't think of a, of a trial that's gotten as much publicity as that mm-hmm. one did. Yeah. No, that was that was definitely the trial of the century, <clears throat> um, the uh, O.J. Simpson murder trial. So yeah, it was it was nuts. Other world events in 1995: the Murrah Federal Building was destroyed by a blast um, by a, uh, uh, a domestic terrorist. His name was Timoth- Timothy McVeigh, and uh, his accomplice was Terry Nichols, and uh, killed hundreds of people. So again, for those listeners that weren't alive back then, a um, little bit about that. Uh, in 1998, 1988, Timothy McVeigh meets Terry Nichols at Fort Benning during basic training for the U.S. Army. So that's kind of how they, how, where they first met was in the Army. In 1993, Timothy McVeigh goes to, to Waco during the Waco siege and decides, uh, watching that, is disgusted by that whole Waco siege of the Branch Davidian compound. He decides then and there that he's going to bomb the federal building as a response to the, to the raids and plans for an attack on April 19, 1995 to coincide with the anniversary of the Waco siege. On April 14th, McVeigh rents a 1993 Ford F-700 truck from Ryder under the name Robert D. Kling. 
April 17th through the 18th, McVeigh and Nichols turned the rented truck into a giant bomb with 4,800 pounds of explosives. I think they used fertilizer uh, as their primary uh, explosive um, compound uh, with fuel and stuff like that to be like the ignition. Uh, April 19th, 8.50 a.m., Timothy McVeigh drive the truck filled with explosives, setting two timers to set the bomb off and parked the rider truck in the drop-off zone situated, this is diabolical, under the building's daycare center, which is awful. Totally sick. Yeah. 12 minutes later at 9.02 a.m., the truck containing ammonium nitrate fertilizer nitromethane and diesel fuel mixture detonated in front of the north side of the nine-story Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building. Hundreds of people were killed or injured. One-third of the building was destroyed by the explosion. Crazy. Timothy McVeigh was arrested. This is interesting. Timothy McVeigh was arrested within 90 minutes of the explosion by Oklahoma State Trooper Charlie Hanger for driving his yellow 1977 Mercury Marquis without a license plate. But he's arrested. He arrested him for having a concealed weapon. So within 90 minutes of the explosion, he's he's pulled over for a traffic violation, and then is uh, put under is un- arrested for having a concealed weapon. And then April 21st, federal agents take McVeigh into custody as they continue their investigation into the bombing. June 1997, Timothy McVeigh is found guilty and sentenced to death. On July 11, 2001. Timothy McVeigh was executed by lethal injection at the Federal Corrections Complex, Terre Haute, Indiana. And then May 26, 2004, Terry Nichols, his accomplice in the crime, is found guilty on 161 counts of first-degree murder and sentenced to 161 consecutive life terms without the possibility of parole. What's checking my watch? Hold on. He has not completed one of those life terms yet, but (laughs) when he does, he has 160 more to complete. So um, suffice it to say, Terry Nichols will not see the light of day. So good. That was in uh, 95. And I remember that day because not only did the bombing happen, but there was a tornado in Lubbock and it was one of the, it was actually the only, only tornado that we had in Lubbock while I was there. But April 19th, 1995 was like one of those days where it was like surreal. What the, what the heck is going on right now in the world? Like so much is going wrong right now. But, um, yeah, I remember that day very well, but, um, crazy. I don't know. I don't know about y'all, but yeah, um, I mean, it was a dark day. I believe we were in the middle of spring finals, uh, semester finals, whenever that bombing happened. And, uh, a couple weeks later, um, uh, a few other uh, fraternity brothers and I, we went and made that trip uh, uh, to see our fraternity's headquarters. And on the way back, we stopped in Oklahoma City to visit the uh, the bombing site and we were just, you know, curious to see just how bad mm-hmm. it was. And, and of course, you know, obviously, you know, the, the, the publicized shot is in front of the, the Edward P. Mm-hmm. Murrah building just decimated. But what, what, what uh, the media and TV didn't really – allow you to feel is the scope of just the damage around it and just mm-hmm. you know buildings across the street from the federal building were just destroyed mm-hmm. uh you know and if you haven't been there since then they have built a just you know a beautiful tribute in the memorial they have there in oklahoma city and and uh 
uh, just a series of chair uh, chairs of lights underneath it, and there are smaller chairs for the children who, who oh, children wow. who lost their lives in it. And it's it's beautiful. It's uh you know very appropriate uh, memorial for them, and it's you know to me on the level of you know the nine eleven memorial if you've ever been to that. But uh, yeah, awesome. um, yeah, horrible day for America. We were just totally shocked that that uh, the guy that was the 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 kingpin behind it all was already in jail. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> you know, 90 minutes after, that's crazy. So a couple of years later, I was living in Houston with you all at the time. And I got this random phone call from a friend of mine who was my, one of my drum majors in my high school marching band. And she, have I told you all this story? I don't, I don't know. So. I don't think so. Okay. So, so, and I'm going to butcher it because it's been almost, you know, 15 years since I heard this story, but, um, but she called me and she's like, Hey, I just wanted to, I'm calling everybody that I cared about, um, because I've got a new perspective on life. And she goes, I was in the federal building that day. Oh working. my gosh. And, dude. and she said, um, I was sitting at my desk working and I can't remember the whole transcription, but for some reason she, she had to go up and talk to her boss, get, go leave her desk and go talk to her boss about something. When she went up to go talk to her boss about that, is when the bomb went off and she said she remembers debris flying everywhere and everybody was kind of stunned and basically just said, you know, um, everybody was like, okay, we need to evacuate the building. And she said, okay. So I went back to go get my purse from my desk and my, there was a hole where my desk was. It was part of the part that got blown off and she would have been killed. Yeah. And she said, you know, the crazy thing, the only thing that happened to me was a tear in my hose. That was it. And wow, so, yeah. Goodness, yeah. Dude. So she's like, so I've got a definitely a new perspective on life. And I'm like, after this conversation, I do too, you know? Yeah. No kidding. Wow. It's amazing to think that, you know, people in these events, the, these events seem so removed, you know, from, from yeah. you. And then when I have somebody say, I was there and this is what happened. I was like, wow. So anyway, a small I just, world, man, yeah, it really was, it really yeah. was. So, and I know I probably butchered the whole story, but it was just, I was in stunned. I was stunned the whole time she was telling me. So I, I can just remember bits and pieces, but it was just such a fascinating mm. thing. So pretty cool. I think I'd have a new perspective a, too. No kidding. Yeah, heck yeah. Anyway. Never know, cool. man. Wasn't her, wasn't her time to go, man. That's, yeah, uh, it was not, that's, no in, doubt. that's incredible. You know, these two first two world events you shared in Noller. You know, really compelling. Now I'm like, so cute. I can't wait to hear what's. I next. know. <laughs> We're both like, I want to go back and listen to this show again. And one thing reinforces, like, you know, we we've told everybody that that uh, the Wayback Time Machine picks the year, and mm-hmm. then we do a random drawing of topics out of a out of hat per se. But uh, but also what we don't do is we don't share each other the content. Uh, of what what the topic is we're yeah. researching. So like in the technology episode, Keith and Noel had no idea mm. what I was going to talk about. Nope. And so we're hearing it for the first time and yep. we legitimately have no idea what the next world event is that Noel's going to share with yeah. us. <laughs> so yeah, we're, we're, we're ready. Keep, keep it going, yeah. bro. So the this is kind of a segue really from Steve's episode where he's talking about technology, but uh, 1995 was the beginning of the dot-com bubble. So we talked about a couple of those um, uh, sites that, that were born in 1995, for example, Amazon, uh, eBay, but there were a bunch of others that, a um, bunch of websites that uh, started or tried to start basically back in 95 and then eventually died out. So that whole boom of, you know, new anything.com uh, was like, major like you know they i I remember 
groceries.com. It was like this new concept where you could order your groceries online and have them delivered to your house. Like at that time, it was like, wow, you know, and it didn't matter if you could start a company and start, put a dot-com behind it. And you were in Silicon Valley, instant millionaire. I mean, yeah. and so all of that, all of those, and there were multiple companies like that that were doing the same, kind of following the same business plan. That was generally known as the dot-com bubble. So um, it was a, a period of massive growth in the use and adoption of the internet. So like between 1985 and its peak in March, 2000, the NASDAQ composite stock market index rose 400,000%. 400, I'm sorry, 400,000%. Now I feel like- yeah, They pulled a Joe Biden. I feel like our president, sorry. I butchered that, 400%, <laughs> only to fall. <laughs> sorry. We're not, we're, not, we're not talking about politics, but the guy does have problems with numbers. Anyway, 400%, yeah. only to fall 78% from its peak by o- October 2002, giving up all of its gains during the bubble. So he had this big bubble that burst. Uh, it started in 1995, kind of peaked in 2000, and then died off completely in two years later in October 2002. So um, all those gains were made that started. So a seven-year stretch there where everything.com was like gold, basically. So um, during the dot-com crash, many online shopping companies such as pets.com, Webvan, which is kind of that groceries that groceries kind of uh, concept, and Boo.com, as well as several communication companies such as WorldCom, North Point Communications, and Global Crossing, they all failed and shut down. So some companies that did survive, such as Amazon, we've talked about, they lost large portions of their market capitalization with Cisco Systems alone, losing 80% of its stock value. So wow. Amazon had this big boom and then kind of contracted. And now, of course, they've they rose to be Amazon.com that we know today. But um, interesting, that all happened and started in 1995. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a, an interesting segue from Steve's technology uh, if you haven't listened to that technology episode, listen to that because it's really good. Yeah. And then it really ties directly into really the kind of the world events that were going on kind of around the, the uh, technology boom of 1995. I mean, think about it. World Wide Web. It's a world event. So it, it yeah. tied together yeah. perfectly. Crazy. Sure yeah. did. I mean, it. you know, I think really when we hit the 95, that, you know, if a family didn't have a uh, computer as that year started, there was a good chance, you know, that was, that was on the Christmas Mm -hmm. list or it was, you know, something that was being purchased. And, and, uh, I I believe if I remember right back in the, my early retail days, it really, it's, uh, in the early nineties or mid nineties, I think roughly like 30% of home homeowners or households had a computer. And, uh, so, so it's, uh, still a very new thing. Yep. Yep. Um, the Dow Jones, so sort of as a, as a result of the dot-com bubble starting, the Dow Jones closed for the first time above 5,000, <clears> which this is something that we've kind of, we talked about the Dow Jones uh, average back in 1984. So just kind of continuing on, mm-hmm. uh, providing kind of tracking that, uh, that where the Dow Jones was in these different years we're looking at. So in 1985 is the first time it closed above 5,000. So I so just what was at, it in 84? It was in the 12 or 13, wasn't it? Somewhere around there? Yeah, 12 or 1300 so or something almost, like that. Almost grew by three times yep. in that time. And I just yeah. just looked at the Dow Jones 
uh, industrial average close for today, which we're recording this in December of 2022, 2022, uh, it was 33,027. Crazy. Yeah. And it was a bad day for it too. So I know, right. Down 348 points. So, uh, yeah, we've, uh, we've grown a lot since then. Yeah, totally. Um, here's a couple of, uh, noteworthy events, not necessarily like life change or anything like that, but just a couple, couple noteworthy things I saw when I was doing research, but on January 1st, the history channel was launched, which I don't know what you guys like. I love the history channel. Like, yeah, I, my, uh, I know my stepdad, like that's the only channel that a dude ever watches and, and probably ever will watch. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, uh, January 1st history channel was launched. I thought that was kind of noteworthy. February 9th, 1995, Bernard A. Harris becomes the first African-American to complete a spacewalk. Reason this is noteworthy. Very significant. Very significant. Not only is he the first African-American to complete a spacewalk, which is a very big deal. Harris is from Temple, Texas, and happened to graduate from a certain university that we all love and adore. Very much Texas Tech University. He graduated from there in 1982. So we're very proud of that. The three of us are Red Raiders. We all went to Texas Tech. Um, And uh, so the fact that Bernard Harris is a Red Raider is a big deal. Very proud of that. And did his guns up in space. Yes, he did. One of the iconic, iconic Texas Tech pitchers is Bernard Harris with his guns up. And then behind him is is space. So it doesn't get much cooler than that. No, not at all. um, March 16th, 1995, the American state Mississippi becomes the last state to approve the abolition of slavery. Oh, wow. Yeah, is it ratifies the Thirteenth Amendment? So the way the the Thirteenth Amendment was ratified nationally in eighteen sixty five, but it was not accepted by all states of the Union at the time. So between eighteen sixty five and nineteen ninety five, Mississippi had not quite recognized the Thirteenth Amendment. Which I just find mind boggling. I was yeah, I was reading this. I'm like, what the what? Okay, so they Mississippi state became the the last state to approve the abolition of slavery on March 16th, 1995. So thought that was interesting. So you got an African American in space at the same time mm-hmm. this happens. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I yeah, mean, great, great point. Yeah, polar opposites. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um. I, uh, this next one in March 31st, 1995, singer songwriter Selena is murdered by Yolanda Saldivar, president of the Selena fan club club. We were all three of us were in Lubbock. I swear it was like the president got assassinated. Yeah. It was yeah. such an, I remember yeah. I'll, I'll remember, I'll never forget that there was such an outpouring of grief and, and remorse. I mean, yeah, a lot, a lot of people that around the city, that uh, of Lubbock that were just in full on mourning for Selena. Yeah. And uh, she was from what Corpus Christi, I believe so, yeah, you ran Christi, into her yeah. a couple of times. Yeah. I actually had met her once. Really? And, uh, you know, you know, I, I'll tell the story real quick. I was, I was working for office max and uh, she was really early in her career and it really started to build that, that following. And so they were setting up a, an office for her fan club and uh so, so I get a phone call, um, you know, uh, furniture line one. So I answer her and, and 
hi, Steve, this is Selena. I'm like, oh, hi. And uh, <laughs> she's like, do you know who I am? I'm like, no, ma'am. Nope. I have no idea who you are, but uh, how can I help you? <laughs> and she goes, she's like, he, he, he doesn't know who I am. <laughs> so, so, uh, but she, I mean, of course, you know, she was a very pretty girl. And, uh, and so she came in with, with her brothers in the pickup truck and, and, and they needed five of the same desk and we helped them, you know, load it up. And she's like, Hey, you know, can you all, uh, come to the office with us and help us uh, deliver it. So we, yeah, we did that. And then they drove us back to the store. And by the time we got back, the store was closed and there was a Burger King in the parking lot. So she bought us Burger King and we just sat out in the parking <laughs> lot. And, and I had no idea that she was as popular or as well known as it, but it was one of those, you know, she was just a very, very, very nice person. And yeah. no wonder she was loved so much. And, you know, and she, she is the, probably the most, mainstream Tejano singer in existence still is to these days. And, and uh, yeah, so if you ever go to Corpus Christi, you know, there's, you know, there's the Selena memorials and Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, paying tribute to her is a very big deal in that community. That's cool. Should have gone back to uh, your office and open up your Alta Vista browser and Google and, and Alta Vista her, I guess. Is that what you said (laughs) back in 1995? Google Google wasn't said then, was it? Yeah. Google wasn't a thing. (laughs) Yeah. I think just that the following year, by the way, I think Keith could have yahooed. Yeah, <laughs> probably so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. May 27th, 1995, Superman actor Chris Reeve falls from his horse and is paralyzed from the neck down. I remember that year. I remember that event. Yeah, I do too. And I'm like, man, it stinks. Superman's, Superman's paralyzed, man. That sucks. I don't remember it happening that long ago, yeah. though. Is he still alive? No, he died. Okay. Uh, July 27th on the 46th anniversary of the armistice, the Korean war veterans Memorial is dedicated in Washington, DC. I, I don't know if you guys have have ever been to Washington, DC and been to that Korean Memorial, but it's pretty darn cool. And, um, I didn't realize that that was, it's over there by Lincoln Memorial and, uh, and now the world war II Memorial Memorial is over there as well. That, that whole area, like I, if I lived in Washington D.C., I could just I could probably visit that every day and not ever get tired of it. Yeah. I love I love the history, and the the um, I love the memorials and and all that kind of stuff. I just I love it. I love Washington D.C. But I didn't realize that that was 1995 was when that that uh, that memorial opened. Yeah, so. I didn't either. It's one of my things that I wished I would have been able to do because my dad fought in Korean War. And I, I yeah. wished I would have had the chance before he died to go visit that with him because I bet that would have been oh, yeah, really cool. Totally, it's a really neat. It's a really neat memorial. All of those memorials are, are are different, unique in themselves. I mean, like the the Vietnam memorial is cool. The Viet, the FDR memorial is cool. I mean, all of them are just they have their own thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know who designs these memorials, but uh, they are they are doing a great great service to our country. But uh, the Korean memorials is is uh, quite quite cool. So that's awesome. Uh, July 27th, 1995 is when that was, when that was first uh, dedicated. Uh, November 4th, 1995, the prime minister of Israel, Yitzhak Rabin is assassinated ironically at a peace right. rally in Tel Aviv. But um, yeah, big, big event. Um, not necessarily impactful to the U S necessarily, <clears throat> although they are a big ally of ours. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> definitely something that was noteworthy. Yeah, no doubt. All right. So in the and so that was all like the world events. So I'm going to switch gears here and go to the politics. So there there really wasn't a whole lot of politics like type events and stuff that happened in 1995. But 
1995, January 4th, the 104th United States Congress um, convened. And the reason that is um, kind of noteworthy is it was the first United States Congress that was controlled by Republicans in both houses since 1953 to 1955. So this big, you know, big stretch of 40 years um, uh, where the the Republicans hadn't been in control of both houses, but they were in 1995. So uh, 1994 was a mid-election year for uh, President Bill Clinton. Um, and so he lost quite a few uh, seats, which is you know pretty normal for uh, a mid-term election. But yeah. Uh, anyway, that was the that was a noteworthy event on January fourth, May twentieth. Uh, U.S. President Bill Clinton indefinitely closes part of Pennsylvania Avenue in front of the White House to vehicular traffic. And now this was done in response to the Oklahoma City bombing, Oklahoma City bombing, which we talked about from April nineteenth. So, I mean, I don't know you guys have probably been to Washington D.C. You cannot drive a car in front of the White House, and I didn't realize yeah. that. It was because it was closed down because of the Oklahoma City bombing. So I didn't I didn't know that, but uh, thought that was kind of kind of noteworthy. I've never been to D.C. I hope I get to go someday. All right. Yeah. Keith Abbott, are you serious? You've never yeah. been. No, that's Bro. the one major city, believe it or not. I, I mean, <sighs> if, I, if I think of major cities in the country, that's the one major city I haven't gotten to yet. So I guess I'm saving the best for last because I've just heard it. Yeah. Today. It, it really is, and, you know, if you ever go, don't, don't rent a car. Just, they have a, they have a really excellent, um, subway system that really gets you to everything you'd ever want to go to. Like all the, there's hotels that are right on the subway. There's all the, the, uh, um, the museums, the memorials, everything really is accessible through, through the, through the subway. You really don't need to go through the metro. You don't really have to go anywhere uh, on a car. And, cool. and frankly, I've never heard more honking horns in in my life than than Washington D.C. Like, <laughs> what? Like in Texas, you really have to do some egregious act, like a drive-by shooting, or you have to do something really crazy to get somebody to honk <laughs> at you in Texas. But in Washington D.C., you need only, I think, just be on the road in front of somebody, and you yeah. get. You, and they honk at you. It is insane. Yeah, that's crazy. It really is crazy. But anyway, yeah, definitely, definitely put that on your bucket list to go, man. It's good. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Watch. Going back to the White House. Yeah, I mean, it's even hard. I don't think you even get next to the the fence anymore. Uh, I believe they have yeah barricades about ten feet in front of that fence. And uh, by the way, there's some really cool YouTube videos out there that talk about just all the surveillance and, and yeah. defense systems that are built into that just the white house lawn yep. much less the build what's in the building and on the building itself it's pretty cool yeah yep. you got some cool toys out there no doubt another interesting thing that i found um as i was looking into political events um of 1995 was on november 28 1995 president bill clinton signs the national highway systems designation act of 1995 which ends the federal 55 mile an hour speed limit I had no idea there was a national maximum speed limit in place um, in 1995. All I knew is that it took me five and a half hours to drive from my home to Lubbock because I had to drive 55 miles an hour to get there. And I always drive the speed limit. <clears throat> always, of course. Anyway, of course. But 
I mean, seriously. So there was a national speed limit that was put in place by the federal government of the United States through the 1974 Emergency Highway Energy Conservation Act. This effectively prohibited speed limits higher than 55 miles an hour. It was drafted in response to oil price spikes and supply disruptions during the 1973 oil crisis and remained the law until 1995. So I didn't know that. No, I didn't either. I thought that was bizarre. So from 1974 into 1995, the national government put in place this law that said speed limits should not exceed 55 miles an hour for the purposes of saving oil because of this, you know, the, the issues we had in 1973 oil crisis. That's wild. No wow. idea that that even existed. Me neither. So, but one of the, one of the, one of the interesting thing is that they put this law in place to, to cut down on the oil uses. So, but, but what they discovered was that they were hoping it would, it would, it would fall about 2.2%. So the actual savings were estimated between point with zero point five percent and one percent, and I guess yeah. honestly, guys, like my only question is why did it take you twenty one years to discover that you weren't actually saving oil, right? You know, like by making everybody drive fifty five miles an hour. Yeah. So I uh, think we've learned the government can't do math very that's well. True. So that's uh, <laughs> it's so true. So true. But um, anyway, I do remember that though, when in, cause uh, in 1995 uh, I was a junior at tech and they raised, the, they raised the speed limit from 55 to 70 and it like changed my life. Like I could, I could drive from my home to, to my, to tech in about four hours. Like it, it shaved off an hour of time, of drive time. So um, yeah, but yeah. I never knew that it had something to do with 1973, 1974 oil embargo. That just blows my mind. So. I just figured it had something to do with safety. I had no idea. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, it, it, I mean, it certainly does. Um, there was some studies and things that were done into like, it's supposed to, I mean, obviously driving slower is safer and such, but, um, there was never any like definitive, like, Hey, it saved a whole bunch of lives because you're driving 55 and it's not more dangerous to drive any faster or whatever. But anyway, I wow. thought it was, thought it was interesting. Totally. That's cool. One of the last things is I found that on January 23rd, 1995, the congressional accountability act was, was passed by, uh, and president Clinton signed the congressional accountability act, which required Congress to abide by the same anti-discrimination workplace rules that applied throughout the rest of the country. Wild. Yeah. Really, guys, the only reason I put this on there is it's like, why does our government not like, why is that a rule that applies to the rest of the country, not by de- by default applied to our, our government? Like all the laws that apply to the populace should also apply to the people that are governing the yeah, governed in the go- yeah. like, but they had to, fu- they had to sign this, they had to pass this different act, you know, in 1995 that makes the the anti-discrimination laws apply to them that have been applying to the rest of the country for so many years before that. Do as we say, not as we do, right? Exactly. Yeah, and it, yeah, uh, anyway, yeah. I just thought it was kind of uh, crap. That's honestly. bizarre. Yeah. That is all the events that I found for uh, the world events and politics for 1995. Um, some big things that happened obviously that year. 
uh, OJ Simpson trial, the Murrah for uh, the Murrah uh, bombing, Oklahoma City bombing, rather. Um, so yeah, there was some big things that happened that year uh, for sure. So uh, hope you guys got something out of that. Yeah, that's amazing. And for our listeners, is there anything in 1995 that you can recall that stuck out to you that we haven't mentioned? Sure, would love yeah. to hear your feedback. Well, obviously, you don't forget that we have Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, feel free to comment and let us know if there's a significant event or even a significant technology breakthrough that we missed in our last episode or sports that I'm sure I'm going to miss a few in the next yeah. episode. Great, great, thorough uh, recap of what happened in 1995, Noel. Thank you. That's It's interesting yeah, yeah. to hear about all these things and, and learn something yeah. new today, too. It's crazy. Like like Steve said earlier, I'm like, okay, we've, we've gotten a couple of events and now go on. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Pretty cool nice stuff. Job. Yeah. So I guess with that, we'll shut down the uh, episode for uh, world events, and I will continue with uh, the following episode on the sports of 1995. And I'm excited about this. Um, I've been doing some research. There were some really cool happenings and some some significant things that I forgot about in the world of sports. And so it's, it's kind of fun uh, getting out of your comfort zone and learning new things. So yeah. with that, thank you, Noel. And uh, we will talk to you again on the sports of 1995. Talk to you soon. All right. Take care, everybody. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Wayback Chronicles. All shows are written and produced by Noel, Keith, and Steve. Massive thanks to those who made these memories possible for us through the years. All songs, sounds, and effects have been attributed in the comments section and through links listed on waybackchronicles.podbean.com. We look forward to taking you way back again in the very near future.